Hello, everyone, and welcome to 1111 Calling. I'm your host, Michelle Haynes, and today I'm super excited to have with us Dr. Mary Shackleton. Dr. Shackleton is a naturopathic doctor who has been practicing for over 23 years in Boulder, Colorado. She is a member of the American Academy of Environmental Medicine with a focus on detoxification, chronic disease, conditions associated with environmental exposure, chronic hidden infections, such as Lyme, mixed bacterial infections, and immune dysfunctions with an emphasis on women's health. She has a background in public health and a broad perspective on prevention. She has recently written a book on environmental toxicity and how to prevent having a baby on the autism spectrum and is the co-founder of Pride Pads Africa, an NGO, a nonprofit whose mission it is to provide sanitary pads to girls in Africa to keep them in school. Welcome to 1111 Calling, Mary. Thank you. Such a treat to be here. I am super excited to have you here and um, share who you are, what you do and why you do it. And, mm. um, you know, I got involved with you as a caregiver a few years back when I got Lyme disease and you were one of the best doctors I have ever been to the Aww. most thorough, most well-informed doctor for me when it came to Lyme. And I was really impressed by that. So it got me really curious about not only naturopathic medicine, but a lot of different alternative, um, I guess, mediums of medicine outside of Western mm-hmm. um, medicine and, and traditional medical doctors. And I've learned a lot along the way. So thank you for being here and sharing um, and being a part of this conversation. I think it's really important. Well, it's a great to be here. I'm glad that you're doing this. Thank you. Uh, I think a good way to start would be if you could just give our listeners a brief background on who you are, where you come from and what you do. Okay. Oh goodness. How much detail to include? Well, um, I grew up in California and, um, I was, um, one of four kids in a family And my family wasn't particularly healthy. You know, they were not unhealthy, but not forward facing towards health. But I was constantly um, fascinated by um, natural healing. And I don't know where it came from, but I would beg my mom to take me to the health food store where I thought everything there was so, I mean, this is the seventies. So I was just completely mesmerized by sprouting jars and all the things, um, the books in those, in just the people that were there, I, I just could not get enough of it. And I couldn't tell you why. So from a very young age, I was very interested and, um, I wanted a degree in health and I started out pre-med and it just did not feel right. It did not feel like I wanted those colleagues to be mine. I didn't feel like those classes were going to get me where I wanted to go. So I did a basic um, undergrad in psychobiology at UC Riverside, which was a very um, great school and prepared me well. Uh, Then I went and got a master's in public health thinking, oh, maybe I would be involved at the policy level and really focus on broad-based solutions to lots of health problems. So I graduated with my master's in public health at about 23 and I was too young and didn't have enough experience. So it was very difficult to get a job. I ended up working on a 
grant to reduce tobacco use. I formed a coalition of people in a community that were interested in reducing tobacco risk and illnesses related to tobacco use. And um, one of the things that they wanted to do as this coalition was to get cigarettes out of restaurants. So this mm -hmm. is this is 91, 92. And um, we were so effective that the attorney general called me and said, you're gonna lose your grant if you keep going like this because the, the um, RJ Reynolds, which was still so powerful okay. at that time, called them. So I was like, oh, we struck a nerve. We're doing the right thing. Let's keep going. So I have always been um, interested in looking at trends of things. And it's mm -hmm. been natural for me to take a wide angle view and say, this is wrong. What's happening here is wrong. And what's right is, you know, this thing over here. And so I've always been a bit of an outlier. In fact, um, doing that work with the tobacco group um, really kind of reinforced that I really wanted to work as a clinician. So what I was doing was going to affect change in 20 years, but I wanted to see, I wanted to see more immediate responses with patients. And literally one day I was walking down the road and I saw a sign on a telephone pole that was introducing a new naturopathic medical school two hours away from where I was living. And that was a lightning bolt moment. And I always talk to my kids about lightning bolt moments, like pay mm -hmm. attention when yep. that happens. And so it was undeniable. It wasn't like, should I do this? It was, when could I be done? Because of all my, my pre-med um, classes as an undergrad, I was ready to go. Yeah. But I just didn't know this degree existed. So I remember I went home and I told my husband, I'm doing this. Um, I don't, know how, but I'm going to do this because yeah. we live two hours away. So eventually, you know, I got in and, um, I do believe that again, I don't know how I was guided because it felt right in, in my core that this was the right thing to do. People couldn't pronounce naturopathic medicine. My parents said, we're not paying for it. Um, you know, people were like, what is it? Are you going to be a massage therapist? Like nobody, <laughs> nobody understood that I would have a doctorate in natural medicine and I would be able to prescribe medicine. I'd be able to have a DEA number and prescribe if that's what I chose. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I found naturopathic medicine or how it found me. Yeah. Wow. So much inside of that, that I love, um, starting from a young age. I, so I personally believe, I mean, a lot of the whole point of this podcast is listening to that, which is calling to you and having the courage to step in that direction, whether you understand where it's going, why, but you just know intuitively there's something here for me and I need to be going that way and I'll mm -hmm. figure it out as I go. So mm -hmm. within what I'm hearing from you, I mean, even at a young age, there was some kind of calling towards it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then as you got older, I mean, trusting your, your intuition that that mainstream medicine did not feel right for you. And you trusted that. Mm -hmm. And eventually, that sign, literally a sign was saying, Hey, now is the time for you. And this is the way for you. And I think that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, it was so crazy. It felt crazy, like by yeah. all accounts. Yeah. I know if, if I were looking at my kid making this decision, I would have similar questions. Like you're going to spend how much $150,000 on a degree that nobody can pronounce, or we don't even know what that is. And then over 20, they've been practicing for 23 years. Now, you know, people don't think twice about, well, I shouldn't say that. I would say that there's a lot more recognition of 
the field of naturopathic medicine, it has forged some pretty amazing um, territory for the natural healing and opportunities for patients just like you who didn't find a way forward for their own chronic illness or what was going to be a chronic illness if you didn't mm-hmm. handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm guilty. I, I pronounce it naturopathic. So oh, it's both. Okay. I was like, yeah. yep, I'm saying that wrong. <laughs> yeah. Naturopathic, naturopathic either way. Okay, cool. And so that was in the nineties when you graduated and started working as a doctor. Mm-hmm. And even then I'm, yeah, like you said, it was still considered kind of woo woo and weird. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Uh, what I think my guess is why more and more people have become interested in it, or it's becoming more and more recognized and accepted is because the proof is in the pudding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a, it's a can't ignore what works. It's, it's true. And I think that the majority of my patients sit down in my exam room and say, I've tried everything else and nothing's worked. And so they're losing faith and Western medicine, our training is so different. And I'll talk a little bit about that real quick. Cause that makes a difference here as a naturopathic physician. We're just, we are trained to treat the vital force. And so we're tried, we're trained to treat that, which is within you that wants to heal. And Western medicine is designed to diagnose and treat illnesses and treat with medicine and medicine can rarely address the vital force. And so what addresses the vital force is finding out what obstacles are in the way of that vital force and removing those. So whether that's lifestyle, I mean, there could be genetic issues, there's lifestyle, there's physical, there's cardiovascular, there's neurologic obstacles. And our job is to figure out what those are and remove them. And then the person can heal and our bodies are exquisitely designed to heal and they want to heal. Just a good example is, you know, cutting your arm. If you don't even look at your arm, it will heal. If you do nothing, your arm will heal. So that's kind of the way I look at, at patients, like what's in your way of being your best physical self. And we try to find what those obstacles are and they could be environmental. They could be digestive. They could be nutrient deficient. They could be genetic. A lot of genetics come into play. Um, and so, but, but I would say their patients are by and large, knowing that there's something else out there, they're feeling less and less connected with their providers in a nine minute, um, appointment that usually yields the recommendation for an antidepressant because they don't know they're not trained to treat chronic illness, um, other than diabetes or cardiovascular disease. If it, if it falls outside something that, that they were taught in medical school, it doesn't exist. And Lyme disease is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Well, and I would even um, suggest that even with diabetes and heart disease, um, their go-to is first a pharmaceutical and they do not discuss too much about lifestyle or diet. Mm-mm. And, um, you know, I have friends and family that are in, that are doctors or PAs and they will flat out tell you they learn very little about nutrition in, their, in med training. And to me, I think what you put in your mouth can make you very sick or it can make you healthier. And mm-hmm. that's just a small portion of it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. there, like you said, there's genetics and there's other things that come into play. So it's not everything, but it's a huge part of it, I believe. So the yes. fact that that is not even very much on the table in Western medicine to me is a bit concerning. It's often dismissed actually. Yeah. Actually and, it is. Yeah. Yeah. My <laughs> husband, was told he was obese, had high cholesterol, and immediately was offered two pharmaceuticals. And he asked the doctor, well, what 
you know, maybe we should look at nutrition first, not saying we shouldn't look at the pharmaceuticals, but maybe first, what if I change that? And the doctor said, I don't know anything about nutrition. So you have to <laughs> see somebody else about that. And was kind of mad. Yeah. You know, so it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I dated a guy in, in med school for many years. He was at UCLA and they got, um, I think it was a weekend, uh, nutrition course. And so it really, it's not a surprise that we've ended up here with this really unhealthy population. Um, because if you do really rely on your doctor's advice, that advice will not steer you toward healthy decisions for, you know, longevity and prevention of disease. Yeah. Um, and you know, they, the friends and family members of mine followed I followed up with, well, the, the protocol of find the symptom and prescribe a pharmaceutical to deal with that symptom. And I suggested, well, what about getting to the underlying cause and, and addressing that? And we kind of go back and forth about that. And then ultimately they say, well, the, the American public doesn't want to do what it takes to change their lifestyle to get to the root of the problem. They just want that Band-Aid. And while I think that probably is true for a lot of people, I think they've also been their entire life. That's, that's what they've been shown. So why would they be motivated or curious about anything else? You, right. Do you know what I right. mean? So, right. um, anywho, uh, I wanted to have you try to explain the difference because, uh, I had to go in and research, you know, what, what is naturopathic versus holistic versus functional versus integrative, right? I love that question. There's, there's a ton of, there's some overlap, I think, with some of that, but then there are some clear differences too. Um, would you mind explaining the differences? Between not, at, not at all. Um, I, it's such a good question because now what's really confusing for the consumer is that there's functional medicine practitioners mm -hmm. and functional medicine practitioners are generally people that have a, a Western degree in medicine. So an MD that is, and this is a pretty broad generalization, but it is very common. They're disillusioned. So they get in the clinic and they start handing out prescriptions and they think <clears throat> this is not helping the patient. So they know. And so they seek other training and it's inspiring to go, oh, there's a whole other way of working with patients. And I want to become a functional medicine practitioner. So they do certain courses and training and they can call themselves a functional medicine practitioner, but their basic training has been to treat symptoms. So the paradigm for a naturopathic physician is to treat the whole person in that vital force. Mm -hmm. And the functional medicine person is often superimposing, um, you know, maybe a supplement for a medicine and still maybe not looking at what else is going on here. What are your barriers to being your full self? So functional medicine practitioners do integrative medicine. Integrative is using conventional and alternative together. Okay. And I believe that that there's a great place for integrative medicine because um, I do think that, you know, while mother nature put every planet on this earth that could potentially heal us, um, sometimes we need a medicine and yeah. I, don't, I don't have, I don't have any disagreement about using a medicine if it's appropriate and it's used in the right way. I think it's, it's a gift. So, but to only believe that there's, um, healing through medicine is also not seeing the full picture. I would agree. So integrative medicine is using both. Naturopathic medicine is, um, you know, 
we have five basic tenets. First, do no harm, treat the whole person, live with the accordance of the laws of nature. And that's a big one because once we step outside of what mother nature has intended, there will be a backlash. There will be. So we just don't know how big the backlash is with the 5G yet in terms of the impact on health. We don't know what the backlash of this COVID shot is on the um, health of our population yet. So, so, you know, first do no harm, live in accordance with the law of nature, um, treat the whole person. Um, so these are the basic ways that we're trained so that we're looking at a permanent cure versus symptom resolution. I think that's great. And I think um, one thing that I think a lot of people feel humans are separate from nature. Mm, Do you know I what know. I mean? Like the, oh, yeah. there is all of nature and then there's us and it's, we are, a, we're part of it. And, and all parts of nature have a balance. It's like a dance, right? And so mm-hmm. I do believe if you have too much of an impact one way or another, you start like really creating all kinds of consequences within the whole. So yes. to remember that we, we mm-hmm. are part of that nature and we will have an impact and how can we, like you said, work best within all of nature. So I think that's really important. And then um, holistic medicine then. So that's another term that's in there. I think holistic medicine is really referring to somebody that's treating the whole person. So like for an example would be, um, this is also really common. Somebody has heart palpitations and they go to cardiologist and the cardiologist says, your heart's fine. Or they might have a seizure they go to the neurologist and they do all the studies and they say, your brain is fine. Or they, they stop being able to digest food and they go to a GI doc and say, I can't digest food. And that GI doc says, well, your, your colonoscopy was perfect. So somebody to take that whole person and say, why are you having seizures? Why are you having heart palpitations? Why can't you digest and figure out what the, the cause of that is? That's holistic. Okay. And so again, there's a lot of overlap there. So I've mm-hmm. seen a holistic MD she's great in a lot of ways. And then then there's other ways in which I don't agree with her. But what I did like about her is she strongly emphasizes diet balance Mm. of lifestyle. So get out in nature, Mm -hmm. get fresh air, exercise, watch what you're putting in your mouth, avoid certain, you know, everything white, white flour, white Mm -hmm. sugar, um, rice, things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, laugh, have healthy relationships. So I appreciated that she felt very strongly to share that with every time you see her to remind you of those things. Mm-hmm. And then there were some other things I don't necessarily agree with her about, but I feel like these terms get thrown around pretty loosely. Mm-hmm. Like I know there are some doctors that say they're, they're, they're in functional medicine, but they're not an mm-hmm. MD. So therefore I don't think they technically fit that bill. Or right. is that incorrect? Well, I think, I think, um, you know, when you go to the conferences that I mentioned, um, there are a couple of big organizations that are functional in nature, and I don't think they screen for your degree. So I think you can get functional medicine training um, and call yourself a functional medicine practitioner. And I don't believe that there's a lot of uh, regulation around that. Okay. So if you're an MD and a functional medicine practitioner, then you're doing a certain group of things. And if you're a therapist and a functional medicine practitioner, you're not doing what that MD is doing. You're doing probably what's within your scope. Okay. And often sometimes they're, they're combined, which I like too. I I've seen, and I think it's true with your practice. There's an MD there Mm -hmm. 
and mm -hmm. then you are there and you have mm -hmm. an a nurse RN. practitioner uh -huh, yes. an rn yeah yeah so. so you you've you've got a the, mm -hmm. the best you know the meeting of the minds taking from all different backgrounds and collectively working together to find the solutions that best fit your yeah your patients exactly how it should be in my mm -hmm. opinion yeah um well thank you for clarifying some of that mm -hmm. i think that'll be helpful for listeners um what do you think are some of the biggest flaws or problems within the western medical system today well i really feel um my heart goes out to people who work in the conventional medical system because I believe that their intent when they went to medical school was to help people. And what the reality of that is, is that in many instances, if not most, insurance companies are driving um, what you could bill for, what you can code for, how much you're gonna get reimbursed. And the, um, they the insurance companies have driven the um, appointment time down to such a, a short interval of about nine minutes that you couldn't get, I, I do an intake of an hour and a half for a first time with a patient. Yeah. Um, so in nine minutes, I can't even do a follow-up in nine minutes. So what are you able to do in nine minutes other than treat symptoms? Yeah, I was in and out of the ER with my Lyme symptoms, which were textbook. They were mm -hmm. textbook. Um, I had the the, the rash. rash. I hate trying to say that. Erythema <laughs> migraines. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I had meningitis-like symptoms, flu-like symptoms with a stiff neck. With that, even said it, mm -hmm. it may be a tick bite. I was in and out of the ER, misdiagnosed, given a pharmaceutical that I didn't need within 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm not even kidding. It's right. terrible. And yeah after I saw you and we actually spent about two to two and a half hours together, our first visit. Oh, really? Do we? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think because there was just so much, I don't know if I screwed up your day or got you behind the schedule. <laughs> Maybe you, you were the last one of the day. <laughs> could have been. Um, you were so thorough. I walked out of there and I swear I called my husband. I said, that's the most thorough doctor appointment I've ever been to. Not only did she ask a ton of questions and take in a lot of information, she had so much knowledge to share. And I was so impressed and it was life-changing for me. Oh, good. It really was. So good. I, I sometimes find that that intake is um, like people just kind of need to be heard. And yeah. sometimes that intake is very healing as a start for people because nobody's ever put together your health history and yeah. said, these are the things I'm concerned about. And let's prioritize and make a list and go from there. Let's test what we can test and go from there. Yeah. And that, you know, something over here can be affecting this over here. Like there's a lot of different things mm -hmm. that could be affecting each other or having a domino effect. So it's important to look at all of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the insurance company, I always joke and say that we have a really dysfunctional menage a trois between Western medicine insurance companies and the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really big problem. I don't know how we're ever going to get out of that little trifecta there, mm -hmm. but it needs to happen because it's not serving humanity or public health mm -hmm. in a positive way. I would actually say it's, it's actually affecting us in a very, very negative way. And again, not all those people working within any one of those three are, are like these, this, you know, bad person or a, Miss 
malintentioned individual. However, you got to step back and look at it and mm-hmm. it's not serving us mm-hmm. well. It is not mm-hmm. serving us for the greater good. No, if you look at how weak people are these days, um, their immune systems, their physical bodies, their minds, um, we are being affected by a lot of things in the environment, a lot of things in our food. And that's a whole other podcast probably, but, yeah. um, but that, that is all very scary and affecting our vital force. So people are weaker than ever. And then they go and get a medication, which isn't going to help them be stronger. Mm-hmm. And then it's this domino effect down the line. And emotionally. So, the, you know, the, the mental and emotional impact of all of that mm-hmm. is clearly, mm-hmm. you know, that is clearly a problem right now when you look at mental health, depression, anxiety, suicide, yeah, all of that is being affected, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, and that's probably multi-pronged too, what's going on there. You've got um, disconnect from community and, and healthy relationships, um, what you're putting in your mouth, your microbiome, mm-hmm. um, screens, social media, overload of information, Right. Genetic. I mean, yes, it's not one thing. There's a lot going on to yes. contribute to that, but we can't ignore it. It's, it's no. happening. So yeah, exactly. It's complicated. Uh, it is complicated. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're right. There are, there are tons of podcasts out there dealing with a lot of that. So um, mm-hmm. I'm grateful for them. Mm-hmm. Let's see. So what can people do to protect themselves against common illnesses such as viruses or diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. Is there something that you think, I mean, those are all very different issues. So if you want to just pick one or what's most uh, important. Well, maybe we, maybe we bring up like how to boost our immune system, given the state of the world right now. Um, and people might be looking for additional resources, but I think, um, you know, my biggest, I'm a, the hugest proponent of eating well because that is medicine. So if we're eating, we can't superimpose a bunch of supplements on top of a poor diet and expect good results. Mm -hmm. So, you know, eating well, I think what you put in your mouth can be looked at as medicine, blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, um, all of those darkly pigmented um, foods have a ton of phytochemicals that actually turn on, turn off genes and they influence your health, especially on cumulatively. So when people sit down in my office and I, and I specialize in detoxification among other things, but they sit down and say, I want to do a, a one month detox. And I'm always like back up because really what we don't, we don't benefit from a one month detox. You might stir things up and you might feel a little lighter, but if you go back to eating the way you were eating, there's really no point because that that's just a, it's basically a digestive rest, which is not a bad thing, but I'm, constantly trying to instill upon patients to look at food as medicine. And if I look at the people that have been in my field for 50 years, they look about 20 years younger than Mm -hmm. their counterparts in any other industry because they've been eating well. And that is a, it's more and more difficult to eat well, which is why we need to focus a little bit more on it. And it can be very simple with a couple of tools, like eating seven to nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day, just doing that would be massive. I try to put things in people's diet versus take everything out because we always have this resistance to being denied something. So I always, that, that is a number one thing. So not only does it support your microbiome, it turns on all the healthy epigenetics that supports your immune response. So it sounds over simple, uh, oversimplification to just say, eat well, 
but right. at the bottom of the there's there's more research than ever about how important these nutrients in darkly pigmented fruits and vegetables are. So if you take a walk through your produce section, I always encourage people get five things that you've never had in your fridge before and try them out and cool. just experiment with the novel foods because that diversity is great for your microbiome. And, and again, the microbiome is a whole fascinating topic and how that interfaces with our immune system and how that's being affected by glyphosate, which is all over our food and um, EMFs from uh, Wi-Fi, et cetera, is affecting our microbiome. So um, so that, that, that I guess such a huge topic too, you know, I, I, the microbiome, I think Dr. Zach Bush, I've been obsessed with him the last year. Too. Good. Good. <laughs> I, I wish everybody was obsessed with him. Everybody please read his stuff and listen to his stuff. He's his he, website has a, a ton of free information on it. Like yeah, he, the videos. He's, he's amazing. All of that. It's like going to school and I mm -hmm. love it and bless mm -hmm. his heart for doing it. But yes, mm -hmm. the microbiome, um, you know, and I know glyphosate, they're going to make it where you can't use it residentially, but they're still going to use it for all your big farming. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of ridiculous. They just need to get rid of it. And then not only that, they're already like, they've got a new patent on the, you know, Duo. renamed it. Yeah, yeah. Because it stopped working. So they added another chemical and they're calling it duo, which got passed without a second look, it got passed in one committee review. And that was that. And I do, I think that glyphosate is one of the things that is uh, really tough on our health. And we're, you know, we're not, it's not, it's so subtle. We can't prove it. We can't prove that kid has um, learning and attention difficulties because his brain is affected by this, but that is truly a piece of what kids are struggling with now is the exposure to glyphosate. And um, it's, it's quite serious. And, uh, the half-life of glyphosate is 63 years approximately. So one application doesn't degrade for 63 years. So in our, in our lifetime, even if they stop using it today, we will continue to be exposed unless you're extremely careful. And that takes, you know, it takes a lot of education and a lot of intention to avoid it, to yeah. buy non-GMO foods and to buy organic foods. And so, you know, those yeah. are, those are some basics. The basic foundation of health really does rely on us making those decisions. It's true. And, you know, we keep going back really what that comes down to is really making that choice to change your lifestyle, to change your buying habits, to change where you're spending your money, because we mm -hmm. all know really when it comes down to making a motivating change on a bigger level is that almighty dollar. Exactly. You know? So we have a lot of power, even though a, this can all feel very powerless because everything is happening without our consent or awareness and we're being exposed, but we do have the ultimate decision-making tool of being a consumer. Yeah. And the, as little as we feel, it does make a big difference. And compared to 20 years ago, there is a groundswell of um, support for making those decisions. Well, um, going back to cigarettes. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that at the beginning, I, everybody smoked when I was growing up. Yeah. And nah, I mean, it's not like nobody smokes anymore, but looking at high schoolers, I don't think as many smoke as when I was in high school. No, it's just like, not. you know, cool. so, so again, that has shifted mm -hmm. and people did get the information and did make different choices and it did have an impact. So mm -hmm. 
being able to have these conversations is so huge. Being able to let these voices be heard mm-hmm. and to share these conversations is essential. So I right. thank and, you. And that's why I answer that question with diet versus all of the other things that I prescribe for immune support, because I do believe if there, if there's anybody in your listening audience that this is new for, that's the one take home message that I want people to have is that, you know, what's, what you buy is in your control and where you buy it is in your control and make sure you're doing as much of that as you can and get the dark green leafy vegetables in and the highly pigmented fruits. And, um, that's a huge step for people. That's great. And that's, that's really, making it not feel overwhelming. If you can just start there, that's wonderful. Right. right. And, um, and I think another one that pairs well with that is just moving your body a little bit, even mm-hmm. if it's going for a half an hour walk mm-hmm. each evening or each morning, you know, it doesn't have to be this crazy workout and it doesn't exactly. need to be hours, but if you can just, and there's so many benefits, not only are you moving your body, you're outside, you know, in, in a different environment, especially mm-hmm. if you're one that is now working from home, stuck in a room mm-hmm. all day, if you get outside and, right. and get exposed to all kinds of things that are out there in nature and how that can contribute to your well-being. And it's for me, meditative, just mm-hmm. going for a walk lets me get different scenario. Maybe I, I watch a hummingbird for a minute, or maybe I have time to reflect on what I was grateful for that day. And mm-hmm. I think those, those also contribute to my well-being, right. just taking that time. So, exactly. and, and easily in my control to make Absolutely. that choice. I was with my daughter last week and we went to San Francisco to celebrate our birthdays and have our annual mother-daughter trip. And I was adamant that I wanted to go to the Muir Woods where the sequoias mm-hmm. were. And I was, I was just adamant, number one, because I'm worried about them. And number two, because I wanted to be in their presence. And so I was describing to her how in Japan, when people live in these huge cities, they will make a forest their destination and they call it forest bathing. And they have documented that certain terpenes, which are phytochemicals are come out of the tree that we inhale when we're in their presence, which has a very anti-inflammatory impact on everything downstream. So I I agree being outside is the counterpoint counterpart to EMF and to um, physical stressors of sitting, honestly, sitting at our desk, sitting. So yeah, being outside, it boosts your endorphins. Yeah. Feel better. Think better. Sleep better. I can't say enough about that. And you don't need to be a triathlete. Walking is like the perfect exercise. I'm a huge fan of walking. I am too. And I think, isn't that, uh, was it in Japanese culture is Okinawans are some of the healthiest people. They have the highest rate of uh, people over the age of a hundred centenarians. And so Okinawa, uh, Loma Linda University, Sardinia, and there's, they're called blue zones. There's one more I'm just forgetting in the moment, but the blue zones are, um, they've identified that people who uh, live in these blue zones live to be over hundred because they have a garden. They have tight communities with family nearby. They spend time outside every day. They have a really healthy diet. And those four things are the determinants that they have found in these blue zones that help people get to be about a hundred. Super cool. I'm going to look up what the other blue zones are. I love yeah. that. There's five. I love that. You can't I, I'm just that a kind of stuff. You know, oh, it, it might be Costa Rica. I'm not sure. I think, but there, there are five. Okay. I'm going to check yeah. it out. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, I love that. So what for you, do you perceive as our biggest health threats right now? Mm, gosh, that's a tough one. I, I don't know 
which one other than COVID, um, I wonder about, um, and these all might be racing for first position, um, EMFs and the impact on us neurologically and on our immune systems are documented and um, very much speeding forward without anybody's recognition of the problem. There's a, um, a fire department in Northern California that banned the, the 5G tower on top of their fire department because of the reports of migraines, depression, insomnia that started as soon as they put that tower on the fire department. So I think the EMFs are pretty intensely bad for us and I don't know how to escape them. I wish I had an answer for that. Um, I think that the GMOs, the, the plants that are genetically modified are things that we've never seen before. They're having impacts on our um, microbiome and our health. And then um, I think glyphosate is probably up there too. Mm-hmm. So glyphosate is, is, you know, all the way bad for our gut, for our brain and um, for the planet. Yeah. I agree with all of that. And one thing that really bothers me, and I think I read a statistic recently, maybe I'm wrong on this, but one out of every two people will have some form of cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't doubt that's where we're headed because of the confluence of all of these right. factors. Yeah, and then I, add in the genetics, add in stress, add in trauma, add in all these things. And there's only so much, our bodies are exquisitely sensitive and there's a limit <clears throat> to what they can withstand. Yeah. I don't think it's, it's like, oh, cancer just comes from glyphosate or no. just from whatever it is that yeah. all of it together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have personally known eight people that died of cancer under the age of 50. Oh, wow. And I think. I am now up to like 15 women under the age of 55 that have had breast cancer that I know personally. Mm. And that is not normal. Like my parents, um, my dad has passed away, but my mom is almost 90. Oh, wow. And yeah, we've got some, some good genes in there, Mm -hmm. I think. And when my parents didn't have friends die in their forties and fifties, they had one friend was murdered. Mm. And I believe another friend had a heart attack mm-hmm. uh, at a younger age, but most of their, their friends, people they knew in their community from church lived to be a bit older. And then it was usually heart disease and things like that, but they, um, they did not have a mystery illness that they died of. They did not, you know, it wasn't cancer. It wasn't all this stuff. They, so that is new. And mm-hmm. I think it's, a combination of all those factors adding up, you know, I think like GMOs and glyphosate didn't come around or out more until the what, seventies, eighties, fifties, sixties. It was, Mm -hmm. they started using it in agriculture in the fifties and sixties, but the impact probably is a 20 year lag probably. Okay. So I started seeing it in seventies and eighties, but it was still, even then nobody was quite aware but even it's true that the, I look at breast cancer as an environmental disease. It's not from estrogen. It's from the environment and estrogen gets pointed to often, but it's actually all of the other factors. Um, and I, I do believe there's a, there's an enormous emotional component with, yeah. with cancer, but specifically breast cancer. And mm. um, I definitely always talk to patients about, you know, have you had any trauma in your life and how have you resolved that? And that is a, that's a layer that needs to be addressed for somebody to be able to heal. So I have, I have always believed that when we hold trauma or pain, whether it be grief, um, whatever the, the trauma is, and 
and I might even argue picking up on generations of trauma. But, mm, for sure. Um, let's just talk about individual trauma specifically. That when you hold that, that will manifest as illness. Do you find that to be more? Tr- do you feel it's more that it's cancer, or do you think it could be really any illness? I think really, really any illness. I I think it um, lowers your resilience to have that vibration, if you will, of trauma, whether it comes generationally or if it's in your own generation. Um, I think it lowers someone's overall vitality and resilience. So they're more likely to get uh, Lyme. Not everybody that gets bit by a tick gets sick, right? So Mm -hmm. everybody, you know, responds differently. And if their immune system is lowered from decades of having this pattern of grief or trauma, they're more susceptible than somebody who doesn't have that. And so I, I believe it could be anything that shows up. There's the, the problem with medicine is that it's fairly black and white thinking lung cancer from cigarettes. That's probably the only clear thing we can prove all the other things. They're so multifactorial that we have a very difficult time saying, Oh, if you have trauma, you're going to end up with this illness. Or if you have, you know, we definitely know a poor diet will put you at risk for cardiovascular disease and diabetes, but mm-hmm. all the other things that you're talking about that are mystery illnesses, it's kind of wherever your body's weakness is and what shows up there. Yeah. Interesting. So tell yeah, so me, so whenever patients me. come in, I'm always like, well, what, what happened to you? Yeah. And you're like, well, what's your journey been? And everybody has one. I'm telling you, there's nobody oh, yeah. gets out of no. childhood without some kind of baggage <laughs> or story. Right. And I now I that. think maybe that's the way it's supposed to be because that's also how we learn. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Tell me some other things that you're passionate about right now. Oh, well, I did um, start a, a nonprofit in Africa, in Northern Cameroon. We make uh, menstrual pads to keep girls in school because if they stay in school, they are less likely to be sex trafficked, raped, married as a child, or have a baby as a, as a young person. Um, so this became kind of a passion of mine. I don't know if anybody's read this book. If not, it's a really stunning book and it's called Half the Sky. It was written many, many years ago. At the time that I read it, I had three little kids and I couldn't really picture how I was going to affect change. I wanted to, um, but the book is about sex trafficking and girls and education. And I thought, oh my gosh, I really have to do something. This is, this is horrible. But again, I had three little kids of my own and I was running my practice and I couldn't figure out. So fast forward nine, 10 years later, I meet um, a man that is a tenured professor at CU. He's from Cameroon mm. and he's actually a prince and um, his name is Ajume Wingo. And he had um, told me this story that when he was a prince growing up in Cameroon, he took a public bus one day, which he never did. He was on the public bus. A girl started her period while she was on that bus and they kicked her off the bus and they were standing, all the women were standing around her, shaming her and yelling at her for being so inconsiderate for starting her period in public and not having any supplies. So he wiped up the seat. He gave her some paper towels and he told all these women like, stop, you're shaming this poor girl. She just started her period. And he decided then and there that he was going to do whatever he could so that no girl would ever have to face that shame again. So that was, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And here we are. Um, We incorporated in Northern Cameroon and in Boulder 
and we um, bought a sanitary pad machine in India, had it shipped to Northern Cameroon, which is a whole story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And we have a facility and we're operational. So right now we're making menstrual pads. We're going to distribute them in school with menstrual education. And um, the goal is to you know, support these girls so that they can be empowered in their life versus um, not have any options and that they can become you know, participants in their community rather than, you know, not having any skills to offer. And, um, you know, if a girl finishes her education to eight to grade 12, she will have four to five fewer babies. Wow. So the whole goal is to get them to graduate from high school. I, there's so much in there. That's, <laughs> I have questions about first of all, yeah. do they, yeah. did they not have no pads no. or anything? No, no. Would they just stay no. home? They would stay home. They would make a pad out of a t-shirt or a toilet paper roll or a a newspaper. Um, And his whole point was, you know, growing up in Africa, he would say that, see that a lot of young women would get infections doing that. And so um, they would either not go to school or they would use something that would put them at risk potentially. And there's very little, I did go to Ghana when I was uh, in 2018 to kind of see where we wanted to locate the facility. And we got to visit lots of distant villages and there's usually one well in a village. And so if you can take a bowl back to your hut house, whatever, that's pretty fortunate, but it's, there's some, there's a lot of shame around menstruation. There's a lack of information. And so young girls don't know how to manage it. And if, if parents talk to their girls about menstruation, they think it allows them to be promiscuous. So they don't talk about it. There's a lot of fear around menstruation and um, there's a lot of shame. I feel so naive for not realizing that that is, I mean, I understand some religious Mm -hmm. stuff and -hmm. how that could play in, but just in general, just um, not understanding biologically what is happening and why. Um, Wow. I, I, we, we spoke to an entire school. They all came outside their classrooms and I took my 18 year old daughter, Ruby was 18 at the time. And she stood up and spoke about what starting her period was like. And, um, the boys were asking, why don't I menstruate? Why don't boys have babies? I mean, so I realized the public health person in me realized, wow, we have to back up our message significantly. And these, 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 uh, you know, these people need just the basics in terms of information. Um, and so, uh, it was it was very eye opening to me as well that the, the level of understanding and the level of access to any kind of sanitary pads is extremely low. And often, young girls will trade sex for menstrual pads. And if that doesn't make you upset, that is insane. <laughs> it's insane. And then the risk of pregnancy is extremely high. So, right. um, you know, we're trying to prevent all of that. How are you met in the community? Because I would think that was maybe. If- well, that's such a good question because I was very, I mean, there's multiple religions. There's, there's Muslim, there's Catholic, there's Christian, there's all different types of religions and everybody has their own perspective on what they think is right. And so I was very cautious about not being the white person that comes in and tells everybody what to do and how to do it. Um, so we have really used um, local contacts there to help us with our educational message. And we've had passed it by the minister of education, the minister of health to see if they, we get there. Um, their sign of approval and to the large extent we have, and we've just kept it super basic, you know, that puberty starts here. This is what your body changes mean. Here's what's going to happen. These are all the normal things that happen around menstruation. 
Um, so we're just trying to keep it super basic. And then we're also trying to survey girls once they receive that education um, and follow them to see if they do graduate, do they, does, our, does our education component prevent them from um, being subject and at risk for all these other things. Interesting. That'll be really fantastic to see what kind of um, data you collect in the next 10, 20 years mm-hmm. where you can really have some clear, yeah. clear numbers. That's wonderful. Wow. Yeah. It's That's super exciting. It's super exciting. It's super touching. Also, they're so, they're so grateful for attention in this very, very remote region of Northern Cameroon. And our intention is to bring it to other countries in Africa. We're using this one as kind of our pilot. We just bought our second machine. This is all donations funding um, 12, $24 keeps a girl in menstrual pads for one year. So that's a glass of wine, you know, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, so we're yeah. trying to really, you know, we do a lot of fundraising. We have a lot of, um, if anybody's interested in looking at our website, it's pridepadsafrica.org. And we do talk about all of the, um, all the things we're doing and all the people that are involved. And because of our partner, Ajume Wingo and his um, being in the royalty in the Royal family, we have been able to have conversations with people in the higher levels of education and health that have helped us as well. That's fantastic. And no mistake, you cross paths with that. I know, no no mistake. is there anything else you want to share either about that organization or anything else that you're involved with or feeling passionate about? Um, well, I guess the one thing we haven't really gotten to is that I did write a book recently on environmental toxicity and how to prevent having a baby on the autism spectrum, because one of my main areas of focus is detoxification. And again, women in their fertile years plop down in my chair and say, I want to get pregnant next month. And I want to do a detox. And I say, okay, go have your baby and come back and then give me a year. We need a year to do this because it it is, um, you know, we store everything in our tissue. It gets passed to the fetus. It can cause neurodegenerative issues. And so when babies arrive, they've already been exposed to 283 chemicals that have been documented in cord blood sample. So my hope and intent is to help women understand that their fertile years are a really important time to pay attention to their health, not party, and then clean up a month before they get pregnant, but to really focus on nutrition, focus on exposures. Um, We have our ovaries for life. And so we have Mm -hmm. eggs that are exposed. They're not protected and anything we're exposed to, they're exposed to. So our bodies are incredibly resilient. I don't want to give people the information that they're not, our bodies are incredibly wise incredibly resilient and there is a tipping point and we just don't know where that tipping point is for everybody it's different for all of us okay i want to go a little deeper here so (laughs) um the so you mentioned that the book addresses toxicity as it relates to fertility and then autism so Mm -hmm. can you elaborate on that a little bit yes so what we didn't know growing up is that our mother's toxins were handed down in utero to us and her mother's toxins were handed down in utero to her. And so there's this, it's called a vertical transmission of chemicals and chemicals are fat loving. And these chemicals stay stored in our fat, our fat tissue or our brain or our cells. And um, there is an active requirement to go and retrieve and get them out. Otherwise we're just gonna perpetuate handing these things down. And when children are born on the spectrum, that's a neurologic condition. 
it is not uh, especially caused by vaccines. The vaccine might be that kid's tipping point because what that baby came in with was already a great burden of exposure. So that's why it's difficult to prove if vaccines cause autism because it's not the only piece of the puzzle. It's one piece potentially. Um, And so it's, you know, it's this larger conversation about, you know, when you, when you go against the laws of nature, there will be a backlash. And now we're seeing this backlash in the the health of children and um, the um, rate at which people in our age group are struggling with cognitive decline Mm -hmm. is probably the catalyst for me writing this book, because I think, why is a 40 year old struggling with, um, why is this 40 year old struggling with such brain fog and such cognitive dysfunction at their age? This, this is 40 is the peak of health in my opinion, and they shouldn't be struggling with that. So what is it? So working upstream, I realized, okay, we can address that, but to prevent it from happening is to go upstream and work with the mom before she gets pregnant. Okay. All right. Give me the name of the book again and where we can find it. Well, that I wish I had it published, but it isn't published yet, but once it's published, I will come on. I'm looking for an agent. It's fully ready to go edited manuscript, but it is um, not published yet. I wish it were. <laughs> All right. Listeners, <laughs> somebody out there I know can help Mary. with. Yeah. This. Does anybody have an agent? I've just been, uh, you know, you're my Busy. second guest that actually has um, my other guest, Christy Rich, is writing a book about um, birthing experience mm. around the world. Mm. Yeah, mm. pregnancy so and birth. Yeah, so yummy, yummy, and infer- yummy mm-hmm. uh, subject Lots matter. Lots there. Yes. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for sharing time with us today. Um, I will put in my show notes, all the links that people okay. can find you. And, and I, I, I encourage everybody to reach out to Mary in some way, shape or form. If you want to support her organization, or if you're in the, you know, front range, Colorado, Boulder, Denver area, and are looking for a naturopathic uh, healer, doctor, I highly recommend Mary. And if you are interested more about dealing with toxicity or want to support her uh, with her book, reach out. I would love it. She would love it. And I think there'll be something there that you can take forward in your life that will affect your life in a positive way. Thanks, Michelle. Yes. And uh, keep your, you know, your eyes and ears peeled because I think Mary and I might sit down again and really delve into the Lyme issue. Mm-hmm. As I stated earlier, I um, got Lyme, I think it's been like three or four years ago now. And that is a, a fascinating, fascinating topic. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of misinformation out there, mm-hmm. I think. And mm-hmm. I think it's affecting a lot, a lot of people. And I think a lot of people get Lyme and never know it and have horrible consequences and chronic illness as a result. So mm-hmm. important subject matter. We will delve into that another time. Again, I look Mary. forward to it. Yes, me too. I thank you. All Thanks, the best. Michelle. All the best to you. I hope you guys found this episode as inspiring as I did. I love Dr. Shackleton. She has changed my life for the better. She's an amazing and inspiring woman and a brilliant doctor. I look forward to connecting with her here at 1111 Calling at a later date to discuss Lyme disease, as well as to celebrate the launch of her book. 
If you'd like to learn more or connect with Dr. Mary Shackleton, you can find her on Facebook at Holistica Integrative Care, on Instagram at Holisticare. You could check out her website, which is www.holisticacare.com. And you can learn more about her nonprofit and show her some support for that at pridepads.org. As always, if you like what you heard here today and want to show support for this podcast, please follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this helps promote me and helps me reach and inspire more listeners. You can also share on social media or with friends and family. I really appreciate you tuning in. Much love to you all and have a lovely day.